Hello and welcome to another Kangaroo English Daily Digest podcast. My name is Christian and today is Thursday, best day of the week. <laughs> today I'm going to be talking about fluency, what it is, how to measure it, and how to test your own fluency. But before I start, I just want to say that just because you're learning English as a second language or a third language or a fourth language, it doesn't mean that your objective has to be fluency. Like, it's fine if you want your objective to just be to go to the supermarket and buy some milk. Perfect. Great. Awesome objective. Love it. Go. It, it's fine if your objective is you just want to learn English because you're interested in the structure of, of English. You, you want to study it as an academic exercise. Awesome. I think that's a great reason to learn English. Go for it. You know, do it. Maybe you want, you know, you're only prepared to spend the time to get an intermediate level. You only want to be able to have some kind of basic conversations. Again, fantastic. But maybe your objective is fluency. And if it is, again, that's, that's a perfectly valid objective. It's great. But I really hope that if your objective is fluency, I hope that you are also matching that objective with the amount of work required to get there because it will take you a very, very, very long time and it's very, very, very hard. So now let's talk about, about what fluency is. Now, a lot of students, when they are trying to determine fluency or what fluency is, they, they might start by asking the dictionary. Um, and the Cambridge Dictionary tells us that fluency is the ability to speak or write a language easily and well and quickly. The problem with that definition is that easily and well and quickly are all relative. So, for example, I might have a lot of difficulty writing um, a piece of, of, of news for a local newspaper because it's not something that I've ever practiced. But a journalist will find that easy. Does that mean I'm not fluent? No. What about well? If I'm uh, you know, a famous uh, writer of philosophy, maybe what I consider to be a well-expressed idea might be different to, to yours. And does that mean that you don't speak English well? You're not fluent. No. And what about quickly? Well, maybe I am a really quick writer and reader. Maybe I can read a book in a few hours and that might take you a week. Does that mean you're not fluent? No. So the, dic the dictionary doesn't really tell us much about, about fluency. So, so what about the other thing that students do? Most students, a majority of students, measure their level of fluency by looking at the CEFR levels. Those famous uh, B1, B2, 
you know, starting with A1 all the way up to C2 to mastery. And a lot of students not only use them to measure their level of English, but they use them as a guide. Most, you know, workbooks and exams are based on these, these levels as a guide. But I want to read you something that was written by the people who actually created the CFR levels. One should not forget that the process of language learning is continuous and individual. No two users of a language, whether native speakers or foreign learners, have exactly the same competences or develop them in the same way. Any attempt to establish levels of proficiency is to some extent arbitrary. Now, I hope you realize that the people who created these levels are telling you that it's an arbitrary way to determine your fluency. It's meaningless. Distilling people's language abilities into six neat little categories is just clearly uh, a terrible way to measure fluency. And they know it, and that's not what they were designed for. So let's forget about those. Let, let's move on to the next thing. What's, what's another really common way that students measure their fluency? Well, they go to an exam. And a really common exam is, is the IELTS exam. And let me tell you why exams are a terrible way to measure fluency as well. So every year, IELTS publish the results of the exam. And they publish the results divided up into category, um, into age, into nationality. And they also divide it into native language. And it's a very useful and interesting statistic. You can say, well, you know, native speakers of Italian, um, you know, get this average mark in IELTS and native speakers of Mandarin get this um, result in IELTS. It's, it's a useful and interesting fact. But you may not know that they also um, divide the IELTS results up by native language. And another thing you might not know is that for various reasons, including immigration or, or, or work reasons, students who have English as a native language need to do the IELTS exam. So all over the world, there are people with English as a native language doing IELTS. And guess what their average score is? 6.5. 6.5 out of 9. Now, there's two possibilities here. One possibility is that native English speakers are not fluent in English. Okay. <laughs> Another possibility is that English exams are a terrible way to measure fluency and language ability in general. And I think you know which one of those is correct. Using an exam as a measure of your language ability is clearly a terrible idea. Now, what about people who say that, well, 
okay, so maybe it's not good to measure your fluency, but maybe an exam is a great motivational tool to push you to, to keep studying. Exams are a terrible motivational tool. And I'll tell you why. Because to prepare for an exam, you need to prepare for an exam, which means you need to prepare for that exact format, that exact content. What you are preparing for is an exam. You are not preparing to use language in real life. For example, in real life, people don't ask you multiple choice questions. Which word goes here? Which word goes there? In, in real life, people don't ask you to fill in a blank. In real life, people don't ask you to put paragraphs in order. The studying that you do for an exam doesn't prepare you at all for actually succeeding in real use of language. And in fact, I have this piece of research, uh, well, it's a study here from 2001 called Improving Chicago Schools. And these scientists proved empirically that students who prepared for exams did worse in the exam than students who just challenged themselves intellectually. What it means is, if you want to prepare for an exam, you shouldn't prepare for an exam to get better marks. What you should do is you should engage in thinking. And this brings me to the final <laughs> part of my, my monologue today, which is about what could actually be a real effective measure of fluency. And recently I was on a language learning forum and someone in this language learning forum was telling the story of being at their university and having a meeting. And then when they got home, they couldn't remember whether the meeting was in English or in their native language, which was German. They couldn't remember. They were thinking, man, Dan, what, what language did we use? And some people in that forum suggested that that could be an excellent measure of fluency. If you have a conversation or read a book or watch a film and afterwards you can't remember what language it was in, then then you're fluent. And at first I thought that it was an excellent measure of, of fluency, a great definition of fluency. But then after more careful consideration, I realized that it's only important for one reason. And that reason is when you have that experience, it means that the content of what you're saying the messages that you are transmitting become more important than the language you are using to transmit them. When you focus on ideas and you focus on communicating those ideas and you forget about the technical aspects of language, that's when you move towards fluency. So, for example, if, and I have the, the official 
IELTS preparation book here. And one of the writing task questions is this. Some people believe that there should be fixed punishments for each type of crime. Others, however, argue that the circumstances of an individual crime and the motivation for committing it should always be taken into account when deciding on the punishment. Discuss both these views and give your opinion. Now, if you want to answer that question, and that's quite, that's quite a, a deep question, knowing vocabulary related to crime will not help you. Knowing the grammar of talking about crime will not help you. Knowing uh, all of the crime phrasal verbs will not help you. Knowing all of the idioms related to crime will not help you. Knowing how to structure a paragraph will not help you. The only thing that will help you to answer a question like that is to have real knowledge about that subject, about crime and punishment and ethics and philosophy. And all of those things are completely independent of language. And so if we really want to create successful students, if we really want to have good teaching, if you really want to achieve fluency, you need to stop treating language like an academic subject. Language is not something to study. Knowing how language works will not help you to be fluent. What you need to do is use language as a tool to transmit thought. Language used to be taught as a way to think. It used to be taught as a tool to help people think. But that's not what we do anymore. Now we teach grammar and vocabulary lists and just things that are so far from the original meaning of language. And if you want fluency, just start challenging yourself intellectually and start treating language as just a tool for communication. I hope you enjoyed today's Daily Digest podcast. If you would like to support this podcast, then you can become my patron at patreon.com. You'll find links to that and also links to my Instagram and Facebook group and YouTube channel and everything else on my website at kangarooenglish.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Christian. This is Kangaroo English. I'll see you in class.